My name is Jenny Hinchcliffe, and this is Senders Receive, a podcast about mail, art, and the people who make it happen. Broadcasting from beautiful San Francisco while bringing you stories and experiences of postal moderns and mail art mavens. Let's go ahead and bring on the show. Senders Receive listeners, you are in for a treat. Part two of my interview with Chuck Welch covers a lot of ground. Everything from opening an exhibition on the brink of a pandemic to the early days of the internet and how it affected mail art. If you haven't had a chance to listen to part one yet, I encourage you to do so. Chuck's stories, knowledge, and sense of humor provide perfect context for the topics that we discuss in part two. It was wonderfully inspiring to sit down with Cracker Jack and spend time talking mail art, and I have no doubt that senders receive listeners will be equally inspired. And now, part two of the senders receive interview with Chuck Welch, the Cracker Jack Kid. I want to mention about meeting mail artists. There's a fellow that I've communicated with since 1982 named Schmuel. S-H-M-U-E-L. Yeah. And uh, he lives in, um, he has a P.O. box in Brattleboro, Vermont. But I, one could never know, uh, you know with a P.O. box who, who it really is. And plus he had a pseudonym. For that matter, I had a yeah. pseudonym that nobody knew my real name for two and a half years. For two years. About, about <laughs> two years. And I had a lot of fun uh-huh. with that, by the way. <laughs> but uh, my friend, my friend Shmuel, was um, uh, he, living in Brattleboro, and I was in uh, Hanover, New Hampshire, uh, uh, mm-hmm. and and dropping off my mail near the Dartmouth College campus. And he was only like a 45-minute drive from my place, and he used to send great postcards and uh, artifacts to the mail. Uh, he sent me uh, just a... I could go on just about what the crazy things he said, but uh, but I didn't know who he was for until I uh, curated his show, and I met him. I finally figured out who it was. I did a little bit of detective work and found out he, uh, as a writer, a former, for, um, a well-known um, psychologist, a ch- uh, child psychology uh, expert, uh, written 16 books that are known internationally. And he was at Dartmouth College at the time. So, yeah, oh, so I could have been okay. walking by to the post office daily, you know, <laughs> and not know what right. he looked like. But uh, he, wow. his name is Stuart Copens is, is his name. I, mm-hmm. uh, I found out after, uh, after seeing him, going to his show and surprising him and bringing him a, a really interesting box, uh, he said to me, you're a Cracker Jack. You know something? Oh You're the gosh. first person I've ever met in the mail, uh, first mail artist I've ever met live. You know, I well, you don't meet them really. Dead, but, no, but yeah. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> no. so he wow. tried to see uh, Ryosuke Korn in Japan. He travels a lot. Uh, uh, Stuart yeah. does. Yeah. And uh, uh, Ryosuke was sick the time that he wanted to go see him. But uh, when I curated uh, Stuart's show, I worked for a year with him, going through his archives. And I had a wow. great amount of fun. He had 25 boxes of things that were approachable and another, I don't know how many more that were in his attic that we couldn't get to because it was wow. sealed shut or something. But uh, going through all of that stuff, I found out 
Well, he had quite an interesting network of people that I didn't know that knew his name. Mm -hmm. But it's just totally surprising to me. He was doing book art, so which wasn't exactly what I had wow. focused on a lot, you know. So he had a whole yeah. other network of people interested in his area or his media. So yeah, wow, wow. So yeah. then, okay, so this is a great this is a great way to sort of lead into the fact that you curated a show with Schmuel with Stuart Copens, postcards to Brattleboro. 40 years of mail art. Can you, can you talk about that show? We'd love to hear. Well, I, yes, I'd, I'd love to um, let your listeners know that you can uh, see a 11 minute clip on YouTube called uh, what is mail art. And you'll see Stuart and mm -hmm. I talking about the show and you, you get a virtual tour of everything that was sent. It focused on seven or eight of his, eight of his, um, uh, mail art correspondence uh, through the years that uh, he did especially well. And uh, he, he loves uh, artist books and add-ons to books and things like that. So we had those on display and uh, art objects. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, one of my uh, nothing mail art cans from Ray, uh, celebrating mm. uh, Ray Johnson. <laughs> nothing soup uh -huh. is what I call it. So, uh, but yeah, we had a lot of fun with the show, a lot of fun, and uh, it was uh, unfortunately closed. We had the day of the uh, national emergency declared by, uh, yeah, I, I keep forgetting that guy's name, the former president, but uh, they, oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they had a na national emergency <laughs> March 13th, and um, March 13th was uh, opening day, and uh, it was closed, so. Uh, they extended the show for wow. eight months because of, of the pandemic, and but it got in yeah. uh, uh, art art newspapers uh, because mm -hmm. of that fact, and, and and a couple of other things too. But uh, I made some pandemic stamps. These were fake uh, fake COVID nineteen uh, test strip stamps, and uh -huh. uh, it said uh, lick it on risk basically on the front. It said uh, COVID <laughs> culture. And if you lick on the other side of the stamp, uh, if it turns blue, uh, you have COVID. Uh, if not, I mean, people what? actually <laughs> believed it for a long time, you know, kind of an anxious object. You know why I, Jenny, you know why I've made those stamps? They're black stamps, too. They're kind of edgy that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's postage stamp size, so you just lick them and run, you know. Mm -hmm. But the reason I made them is because my daughter had contracted COVID uh, in the first week in March or thereabouts, and her partner had, too, and mm -hmm. their roommate, they're all artists. Uh, they were living in, mm -hmm. uh, in Brooklyn at the time, and uh, they... They all got COVID and they couldn't get tested. That was the big issue back then. You couldn't oh. get a test to know whether you had it or not. Right. And so I thought, oh, right. I'll make some stamps where everybody now will suddenly have the ability to test whether or not they have COVID by licking the back of a stamp. That was the idea. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, so. And people, people would lick the back of the stamps. It would turn blue, the gum, and they would believe that they had just done a COVID test? Did you get any mail that people were like, what's going on? Well, I guess it wasn't that <laughs> believable because they were called fake 
COVID test stash. Okay. <laughs> okay. In the title, I don't. It never got beyond that point. But I have to tell you, we right. did have a, a pre-opening day the night before they closed it down. All the artists, you know, and people involved with the show, uh, and Stuart and I, and the director, blah blah blah. We were all there, and so there's a nice little crowd there. You know, there's mm. 45, 50 people. And I showed these stamps to everybody yeah. and they actually believed me and they kind of looked at each other, you know, like, oh, and I said, I said, no, they're fake. I said, they're fake. <laughs> and then they, then they all started laughing, you know, and then they came up yeah. afterwards and they wanted strips of these stamps. So I had like, I gave all my stamps wow. out and they, and uh, they yeah. put them on their mail. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Most these stamps are like that. They can be very covert, right. covert, and and uh, at the yeah. same time uh, yeah. um, anxious, depending on the subject matter, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you've been spending the last four years doing, you know, creating artist stamps that are, you know, fairly political, that are social commentaries. Do you have a? I don't. I the word favorite is kind of a strange word to use, but do you have a? In addition, you've created that is particularly resonant for you? Well, the latest, last one I did uh, is, is talk about anxious objects. I have, uh, I reacted to the um, January 6th uh, insurrection mm. and um, mm -hmm. in, in Washington, D.C. And um, I created a, a, a big boot over the Capitol Dome and uh, and uh, put some phrases in the background uh, that would be controversial like uh, traitors uh, blah 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 and this and that mm -hmm. um, and um, there's a confederate flag the stars and bars are behind everything you know and mm -hmm. that issue is a very strong uh, political comment about uh, insurrection which I'm totally against yeah. and um, mm -hmm. I put that on Instagram and I got a lot of people who loved it you know uh, Mm -hmm. Downside of it was that I put it on some of my envelopes, and I had one of my envelopes in a what they call a postal body bag uh, returned. Oh, yeah. It had been mm -hmm. damaged. It had been opened up uh, with a knife, um, slid across. You know, it was like a legal mailer kind of thing yeah. envelope. And yeah. I had stamps in there. Those stamps, and uh, I'd sent them. It's first class mail. It's a felony to open mail. But it never got right. past Manchester Postal Facility. Uh, that's where, oh, where it wow. was uh, opened, and I think opened and sent back to me. Um, and huh. some things missing, but I, I tried to file a complaint. I never had anything quite that. You always hear about that type of thing happening in uh, uh, Latin America, like in Uruguay and the, mm -hmm. or in uh, Pinochet's regime or in yeah. uh, uh, Argentina with all the people that were missing and there's a whole bunch of stories of the male artists that lived in those countries were risking their lives, their deportation, uh, yeah. missing, you know, that happened all the time. Uh, entirely different in the history of male art, a different experience among the participants doing political art that really laid their lives on the line. Yeah. And then you have Eastern European people who I communicated with a lot, fascinating to send things behind the Iron Curtain. And I tried to get yeah. a, a mail art show going in Russia 
during the before it was you know before the Berlin Wall came down, and this uh, we were basically sending information through the postal channels through the Berlin Wall. I mean, each of us in our own way were chipping away at that wall. You say, well, one person can't make a difference in in changing the world, but mail art is very uh, nefarious. It's kind of everywhere. It's uh, it, it, it's, yeah. it's so de- it's so decentralized globally mm-hmm. uh, that that things pass through different channels, the government channels, and they, they they don't they aren't detected. But then sometimes they are. There's a whole yeah. other show for you right there talking about uh, <laughs> about yeah. uh, getting my mail out in my book Eternal Network. I couldn't get that. That was published in '95 by 1995 by University of Calgary Press. I could not get that to Eastern European countries uh, even in 1995 really? because um, uh, yeah, the the um, I for example I was trying to get the book to to a contributor. Um, Andre Tisma in Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was a UN-imposed embargo on that country. Now, this is a book, an educational book I created, and I sent it to him, and yeah. it was returned by the by the postal officials. So I wrote to the State Department asking why I couldn't get my book through to you know to uh, Serbia, and they said, well, because of the embargo and. Uh, uh, the the book found its way to him and mm-hmm. other contributors that were in the book um, through uh, the Galantes and at Artpool, which is a, a early oh, okay. pioneering mail art yeah. archive in in Budapest, Hungary. Uh, Julia mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Georgi Galanti, um, so they uh, were able to get that get the book there. And then they gave it to another intermediary who carried it across the border, and it finally got to him. So there you go. I mean, there's a good example of yeah. of how how governments can interfere with with uh, with your mail. And and there has been tampering with stamps that I've done uh, mm-hmm. recently uh, with um, that particular issue I, I started off with talking about a minute ago, and. Uh, I sent those two stamps to Greece and a, a different set of stamps. It had a, a hidden, a, a very small swastika that was in a corner of the stamp and, and some foliage in that. And a postal worker uh-huh. in, in Athens saw that and asked her about, asked my, uh, the mail artist there, uh, what was her name? I can't even name right now, but she wrote back to me and she said, ah, you know, I like your stance, but don't, you know, I had some trouble with this. And oh, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to put people's, uh, get people in trouble, but it's, there's a sensitivity today in this country over mm-hmm. the content that you mail on, in Stamp Art that I hosted a show with, which, with the theme of this insurrection on, on January 6th. And I, I I got probably about a third of the mail artists who I've known invited personally. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they declined because they felt nervous about it. And I never noticed that ever with, with any wow. of my uh, correspondences. And 
um, I'll give you an example. Uh, Russell Butler in uh, Gurdon, Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, was uh, I sent him some of the, I didn't put those stamps on the cover because I knew where, you know, it's a Confederate stamp, you know, and it, it's going to attract attention mm -hmm. right away. So uh, I put him, I asked him about it. He said, "Oh, yeah. There's postal officials, uh, postal officials, and government workers that have been affected by Louis DeJoy, the Postmaster General's oh, yeah. uh, down, downsizing of the postal uh, machinery and, and, mm -hmm. and stuff, and our wages and everything else. It's still going on, I guess. But uh, and he said they probably wouldn't take kindly to it. And um, even though he believed the same, you know, he believed in what." Uh, what the content uh, was expressing, I, uh, he didn't feel comfortable with uh, with creating stamps because they're yeah. that's the cutting edge about stamps is that they, I mean after all every every country that puts a stamp out is advertising in a political way uh, a certain right. amount of, of propaganda about their country and and you know with their monuments right. and famous people. And male artists create their own countries, and that's a little bit safer, I think. And right. I think I think people who make artist stamps, there's more of a focus these days towards fantasy uh, countries and that. And, mm -hmm. and I did a little bit yeah. of that for a while, but what I focused primarily on was I, I, I like uh, um, a certain amount of political content in, in some of my stamp works, okay? I've done... Like I said, I've yeah. done conceptual stamps from the early 80s that had nothing to do with politics. But I've made uh, probably about 400 issues of stamps through the year, stamp sheets through the years. Um, I gave those to the yeah. uh, Archives of American Art. And um, they, they run a, a gamut of different types of, of content subject matter. So, Yeah, I mean, have you, have you seen your artist stamp work sort of evolve from the 80s to now? Just like, do you have ideas or themes that you're always working with? Good question, great question you're asking. Some male artists do focus on, on, on an idea that they carry through basically their whole life as a male artist. An example of that would be Ryosuke Cohen's uh, Brain Cell Project. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not that kind of a artist. I, I, I like to experiment and a lot of different media, a lot of different ideas and concepts. I can't really stay put with any one thing for that long. I had a zine for a while uh, that was called Net Shaker. I did that for about three years mm -hmm. in the uh, 1990 to 1995, and then I put it online. It was the first online mail art zine. Uh, I focused on that for about, I guess, four years four or five mm -hmm. years. And then I got kind of tired of it. I, I was really into doing um, conceptually doing things with mail art on the internet because I have a real strong yeah. background in fluxus art and especially admired Dick yeah. Higgins, who, who I met and had correspondences with. Uh, admired him because he came up with the term intermedia. He was interested mm -hmm. in the spaces between established media in the art, between theater and visual arts, and how do they interconnect? How do they work together? Right. What kinds of new forms can come out of that? And when I started doing BBSs, I don't even know if people know what the acronym is anymore, Bolton Board Service, things with um, 
Charles Francois in France and Marc Bloch in New York City and Guy Bleu and well in Belgium, uh, Rude Janssen. There was a network of maybe five or six of us experimenting with taking uh, online as, uh, male art subjects to discuss in a yeah. live chat chat form. Yeah. Uh, these are your early chat rooms where your BBSs. And right. uh, so I did that kind of thing because I felt like I'd already done a lot of the challenging stuff, the things that challenged me anyway in male art before mm -hmm. that. And uh, I've always been pretty much home-based. So uh, the internet freed mm -hmm. up a lot of uh, possibilities to meet people more instantaneously. Uh, and we did this yeah. with modems, terribly slow method. It's just, I did that, um, created Mallard's first web zine, uh, web, I mean, web page in uh, last month of 1994. I did this at Dartmouth College Keywood mm -hmm. Computation Center. And um, it, uh, at the time, it was challenging because there were a lot of male artists that didn't want to have, there weren't a lot, I mean, half at least didn't want to have anything to do with it. But um, because it was, they yeah. didn't think it was male art. But I've always felt intermedia and conceptually in an open concept, this is what male art should, I thought, should embrace or at least experiment with. And uh, I created, uh, created the neologism cyber stance which also, by the way, you won't mm -hmm. find too much information about in male art histories. But um, so I did a lot of that type of experimental work, and then I had the children came along. So um, yeah, yeah. I, so I became a at-home dad for a long time, and uh, uh, used the uh, yeah. internet was a way to escape. You know, um, it's like being in yeah. lockdown. I mean, mothers understand that. You know, parents do. <laughs> right. With your right. children raising triplets, you know, it's it's pretty pretty confining experience at times. So I, uh, yeah, I, I move around a lot in male art. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that nowadays, you know, institutions, museums are starting to draw this parallel between male art in the early days of the internet and the current internet, you know, there's a lot of talk about networking and networked currents. And, you know, those are both terms that male artists have used for a really long time, you know? Um, well, we were the proto internet. Yeah. Proto -internet. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of, <laughs> there are academics writing about that right now, you know? And I, I think it's, I, I think it's interesting. Yeah, Craig Saper uh, um, at University of Maryland wrote a book called Networked Art, and he's talking about networking bureaucracies, and he brings male art into play uh, as a discussion. Uh -huh. uh, it was written in the late 1990s with uh, Anna Banana's artwork on the cover. And, uh, oh, wow. So yeah. he, was he put on a show called Networking Poets that travel around the country. And yeah. Uh, he, yeah, so he was uh, doing, uh, looking at, at work like that, and uh, so I want to say Craig. The reason I thought of Craig was that he uh, talks about uh, the early work on the internet a little bit, and he says that that male art was. Uh, I'll use his quotes. Male art is quote unquote the internet's underwear. <laughs> <laughs> I won't think about that That's too hilarious. much, but 
But <laughs> yeah, it, no, me neither. I really don't. <laughs> so, so Jenny, you want to you want to know uh, what the first piece of uh, mail art was that uh, Ray Johnson sent to me? Oh, sure. Yeah, tell me. All right. The project was called Material Metamorphosis. I was a paper maker in Omaha, uh-huh. Nebraska. I first met Ray when I invited him and about uh, 200 other male artists to send a favorite article of clothing to me. Craig oh, Zipper no. writes about oh, this no. in his book. So I got, and I, and I converted everything in, with this huge glorified food blender. It's called a laboratory beater. And anyway, it's a, it's, it's a uh, anyway, I won't explain what it is, except that it grind, grinds up fabric into pulp, paper pulp. And uh, okay. with my paper paper mill, I, I made handmade paper stationery and envelopes with it. Well, Ray sent me his webbed underwear. He fished, fished this out of his kitchen trash, is what he said to me, and it, it was kind oh of droopy God. and 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 yeah. And I, I got unbelievable things from from people, uh, scarves and <laughs> socks, and their favorite article of clothing that they wore you know, during their wedding or whatever, you know, and yeah. uh, shirts. And uh, that became stationary. And uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> I met Ray. I finally met Ray in 1984. He invited me to come to his retrospective, which was uh, in Long Island. Uh, it, was only, it was his second retrospective in Roslyn Harbor, New York. at the, uh, Oh, yeah. County, the county museum there. Had a big show, mm-hmm. and uh, he invited me there when the show really wasn't on. They let me inside the museum with my wife and a and a wow. Faith Eisler, another male artist, and he uh, we did a performance together, uh, a nothing performance. It was nothing. I have a photograph oh. of it. So uh, I said, oh. Ray, I want to put something on the wall here uh, to be part of your work, and and he said, Oh. Oh, great. I'd love to have you. Can I get a picture of it? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and so we found a place between wow. two of his uh, pieces of work, two of his uh, modicos. And uh, I yeah. held up my hand and he took the photograph. And oh. of course, there was nothing that I was holding up. But <laughs> yeah. So that's where we first wow. met. Huh. Are you going to try and go to the retrospective in Chicago, the Ray Johnson care of show oh i will definitely make a, a, a effort to drive uh, to drive out there and um yeah. see that um so this show is based on the contributions that ray's biographer and friend uh, and fellow male artist yeah. uh, bill wilson uh on, on the is bill wilson's archive of everything that uh, all of his correspondences with ray and uh this show is being based upon that contribution it was made last year, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Bill died a couple of years, three years ago. And um, so I hope that they have a panel discussion there. And yeah. I really hope wow. that someone there will in, invite Ray Johnson's legacy. Because a lot of the people yeah. that Ray communicated with Initially, they're gone. I mean, they were part of the New York Intelligentsia and the art establishment. They were members of the Black Mountain College School where he went in the late 40s. And uh, they were famous artists, like uh, pop artists like Rauschenberg and Warhol. And and art critics like uh, Susie Gavlik, famous people. And 
you you see the art establishment showing uh, focusing on stories and uh, of Ray mm -hmm. Johnson and that element of his uh, of his correspondence school. But you and I know that Ray had a much wider network of, of people that he regularly uh, communicated with um, right. that uh, were younger and unknowns. And no one mm -hmm. yet has really had a show of Ray's unknown school, you know. And mm -hmm. I, I was thinking, wouldn't that be a great thing if Chicago Art, Art Institute would, would have a panel discussion with uh, with a variety of people that uh, knew Ray, or I mean, maybe met him, or uh, were really interested in, in his add-ons, and, and uh, were involved in different projects with him through the years, is all I'm saying. Right. Be right, because he, yeah. there's this huge breadth of things that he did, you know, illustration and lettering, you know, he was an incredible wordsmith, he... Oh, you know, yeah. the Modicos, which some people know about, some people don't. I mean, yeah, that would be amazing. I don't know what kind of, well, we'll know soon what kind of programming they're going to have around that exhibition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Terribly influential. Yeah. I mean, just a wonderful, uh, quirky individual, very interesting guy. Yeah, casts a long shadow, for sure. Well, let's see. What else can we, I know I have... <laughs> we're we're running into an hour here. Do you uh, do you have any projects on the horizon that you're working on that you want to tell listeners about? I'm uh, I'm still archiving. I'm uh, right in the process mm -hmm. of uh, donating my archives. So um, I have about well, I have maybe a hundred. 120, 130 boxes of, of things that I'm donating. Wow. So uh, I'm trying to prepare a number of things for uh, University of Iowa and, um, mm -hmm. and the, their library collection. And uh, I'm entering some shows. I don't do a lot of them, but uh, uh, the yeah. archiving takes up a lot of time. Plus, I have two book projects. One of the books is based mm -hmm. on my archive. I have, I call it the... Uh, archival mail art index it's actually a really mm -hmm. useful book for laying out the metadata for archiving mail art um at least in yeah. using my my idea at least the way i put it together as a template for making some sense or semblance of of, um, of a working tool so that you know you can right. look things up and 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 actually map yeah. uh uh, an archive with with data and with uh, scans, and uh, I have well over probably 50,000 scans I've done over the past twelve years. And wow! I have them in many different categories of interest in mail art, uh, and uh, I have all of my correspondence's letters uh, cross-referenced, mm -hmm. so that you can. There's roughly about two thousand artists that I corresponded with through my 40 years of mail art. And I know I had a friend that came to me, a good friend of mine that saw the archive, didn't know anything about mail art. And he said, he said, well, how many people are in these boxes? I said, oh, what you're seeing here right now, 1,500 maybe. And he said, oh, I have more friends on Facebook than you have. 
<laughs> I said, I said, these are oh, analog letters. There's some letters that are yeah. like from Lon Spiegelman that were 12, 14 pages long. Right. Or, you know, or, yeah. and uh, I have like, I saved 800 of my letters and uh, uh, scanned all of them. And so that the subjects and yeah. topics that are being discussed uh, between myself and the other person are preserved. So uh, it's yeah. really easy to go yeah. into the database and look up any topic you want, and you'll find, oh my gosh, uh, hundreds of different uh, uh, envelopes or postcards or mm -hmm. uh, correspondences, uh, rubber stamp art, yeah. uh, artist books yeah. that you can go to. Um, it just right. makes it a very useful educational kind of a tool to understand uh, for researchers or for just the public in general, uh, to understand what in the world were these people having these wonderful debates about all these years, you know, what in the world was that all about? Because I've always felt that the people that were in the, who are in this archive are incredible artists. And uh, I have bios about them and a lot of their newspaper clippings and, and uh, their accomplishments are in this archive. So um, it's preserving yeah. uh, a portion of uh, mail art's past. Um, some friends of mine have just burned their archives. <laughs> It'd be a lot easier thing to do. But, oh, that seems pretty extreme. I know, but some I, I, I've had friends. <laughs> I friends that said that they they burned wow. them. Actually, they, they, well, you know, it, they are kind of. It's, 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 I didn't ask to be an archivist is the thing, you know, when you get into the right, art, you get right. it for the creativity. And I think it falls on mm -hmm. everybody's, uh, as a sender, your receiver. And it's, it becomes a dilemma of what to do with this monstrous pile of things that can accumulate, uh, you know, yeah. in a matter of a year, I'm, working through a box of things I received from 2010 to 2012 or something. And, and I've been going through that for weeks now, just uh, saving or sorting. Mm -hmm. And uh, not everybody wants yeah. to do that. And, uh, but then right. all, all of us are getting older and what, what do you, they, they, they don't want their relatives to throw these things out at the same time. Institutions, institutions, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it's one of those things that I think when you get involved in mailer, you don't think about the, that aspect of it, that, yeah. you know, people are going to be <laughs> sending things to you and, and, and there might possibly be a lot of things that are sent to you if you're involved for a long time. And then, you know, what happens? What do you do with those things? So we could have a whole conversation. Oh, yeah. Just about yeah. archiving. I mean, that's a whole other podcast that... I know people would love, <laughs> but I mean, do you think institutions are, are, are changing and becoming more aware of, of mail art collections and sort of gearing up to collect? I think that the thing? exhibits that have, have been happening, uh, uh, kind of lead to that conclusion. Um, mm. there's, and, and the mm -hmm. fact that this really was a proto-internet activity. We were using lingo and uh, ideas, net this, net link that, 
uh, terms yeah. uh, that, that actually uh, have surfaced years later. And I, I think it's, it's a whole network language, a whole form of art that was built on the ephemeral. And it's, and because it, it followed fluxes, it really was the avant-garde it's natural progression after Fluxus. And mm -hmm. I think the Getty was interested years ago uh, when they talked with Gene Brown, who collected Fluxus art and yeah. surrealistic mm -hmm. art and uh, Dadaism. Uh, they wanted her archive for those things. But Gene was mm -hmm. a great supporter of uh, uh, mail art. In fact, I dedicated my book, Eternal Network, to Gene. She said, you you." If you, if you want this archive, you have to take the mail art because it's inter, interrelated. <laughs> you just don't say, uh, I don't want right. the mail art. So, so they right. didn't have really anybody at the time that, that knew what to do with it. So, um, and since then, they've acquired Lon Spiegelman's uh, archive. And I, I don't know if mm -hmm. uh, Tab, Pat, Patricia Tabner's archive went there, but um, I haven't been out to California for probably... 25 years, so I want to go see, uh, visit that archive, and also uh, see Lon Spiegelman's archive, uh, because he was uh, one of the foremost collectors, I think, uh, up until the day he died, uh, died in 2005, but I have 186 of his letters, so he must have a couple hundred of mine, but uh, they're in storage right now, so they, they have not been, been, it's a treasure trove, to a male artist, uh, there's so much information there about West Coast uh, male art and international yes. male art, for that matter. Yes. Uh, but they, it takes years for somebody with some knowledge in it to be able to make sense out of it and do do something with it yeah. so so it can be used. Right, you know, right, and well. making it accessible in a way that that all people can use it. You know, what does that look like and what does it mean? You know. I wrote a letter to Anna Banana about about that very thing because she was asking me, "Well, what do I what do I do with my archive, and uh, how, what did you do?" And oh yeah, um, and I, I wrote an essay uh, about it, and it appeared in uh, it's online actually, along with my books, uh, Eternal Network, and mm -hmm. uh, an earlier book called Networking Currents. Anybody out there interested that wants to download any of that, you can go to academia.edu. Okay. And do a search okay. for Chuck Welch, and you can read a lot of uh, free information about uh, this phenomenal art form, which I actually still believe that it's the greatest art movement, free, open art movement that's ever existed. It's just so big mm -hmm. that the art establishment has trouble embracing it. And it's easier to embrace an individual or a group of individuals chosen by them, which is too bad, because it doesn't really tell the story yeah, I 100% agree. I, I mean, I think that's changing. I think the establishment is starting to get its brain around what what mail art can mean and what it might mean. But again, it's such a it's such an ever changing creature, and that's part yeah. of its draw. I think for so many people, and it you know by its very nature, it's almost undefinable. You can assign these <laughs> these loose terms and these kind of you know working categories almost, but, you know, 
you'll never be able to quite pin it down, I think. And so that's why making archiving metadata and cataloging becomes really important, but also the terminology around what what words are being used, what categories, what, you know, like object labels and things like that are being used. It becomes important to define those things, you know. Because you could look at the oh, University yeah. of Iowa collection, their finding aid, and then, you know, look at, yeah, the Gene Brown papers at the Getty Research Institute. And, like, you can get an idea, but the finding aids are really different online. And so... Oh, know, yes. <laughs> like, yes, absolutely. It's... Yeah. It's all over the place. So so your book is important, and I can hardly wait until it until it comes out. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know who'd ever publish it. it right now it's 1,600 pages. It's like a, a wall of text. But I have scanned all of these images that could fit into the book. I'm going to have to have some kind of a... I don't think I have enough years to, to condense it into a Reader's Digest version. It's just as, as it is, and people will be able to look up uh, 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 all kinds of fascinating information yeah. and dialogue. And uh, it's just yeah. uh, been such a wonderful experience in my life to, to focus uh, not on traditional media, but to actually make yeah. mail art my media uh, more so than, mm-hmm. than, say, like printmaking or bookmaking or papermaking yeah. or... I, it just it kind of embraced so many different tangents of, of creativity yeah. that, uh, that I felt very comfortable in it. But then it's, it's hard yeah. to kind of get a grip on, well, okay. Was he, right. Oh, yes, the guy was a writer. Yeah. Oh, but they forget the fact that, that I was, no, no, I wasn't uh, uh, an artist. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, like Steve Delachinsky is a great example of that. You know, like, Delachinsky was a poet primarily and a writer, but he sent mail art. He made great collages, you know, so you might know him as a poet and like an open mic guy. But then, you know, like I corresponded with him and received collages and things. And and I think that is the that's one of the things I love about mail art, too. There's a lot of coincidences. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to focus like on one medium or one thing like mail art can fit it all in embrace it all so that's cool well so i guess my last question is uh how can people find you online well the i think i gave i gave the information in in academia that would be one way to to read about what i've written okay um you can find me on instagram you can see uh Mm -hmm. samples of my most recent uh stamp art and I, i focus a lot on collage as well so you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have, this is very strange, but I don't have a web page. But um, uh-huh. like I said, you can find me on Facebook and uh, see the latest things I'm doing. I think this is really kind of an interesting area too, Facebook itself, because a lot of male artists have, have tended to migrate away from that to Instagram. Have you noticed yeah. that? Yes. Why do, why do you think that is? Because I have ideas around it. But why do you think? I think it's been like, uh, it's been politicized uh too much has been uh uh and i I think that that uh, discourages people i think instagram's probably a little safer (laughs) yeah yeah and i think too because what we're doing is what we're doing is so visual that it's Mm -hmm. a lot easier to just take a picture and post it on instagram and 
and get feedback that way pretty instantaneously, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I think it's, yeah, like you mentioned, a combination of politics and visual culture, you know? I'll put your, I'll put this information in the show notes, Instagram and Facebook, and then people can message you and you can sort of, that's right. You know, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, well, are there any, uh, are there any last minute thoughts before we wrap up and say goodbye to each other? Um, I think that's probably about it. I think we covered a lot of territory, know. although, you know, I can go on and on and on. There's so much to talk about. Any yeah. any topic, yeah. a mallard is, you can go on and on about it. Well, I I appreciate so much, you know, all of your, all of your knowledge. And, and like I mentioned at the top of the show, just thank you for, for taking the time to share, you know, all of your stories and, and so generous with all of this information to, you know, both newcomers and long timers. Well, you're, you're a gracious host. And I, I, I really uh, think you've done some wonderful things with the book arts out on the West coast, um, your curatorial work. And uh, you come in great standing in mail art. And so I, it was a pleasure to finally meet you in person at the oh, New York yeah. Art book fair. I think it was in 2013. Was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that seems right. Yeah. 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 Well, likewise, I mean, you, you are truly one of my mail art heroes. So well, I love your postcards <laughs> so. and just, especially your stamps. Yeah. I like your stamps. Oh, thank you. Lot. Yeah. They're really well done. <laughs> All right. Well, with that in mind, I will say thank you so much, Cracker Jack for taking the time and sharing your knowledge this has been so much fun. Yeah. Time flew by. Awesome. <laughs> I, it really, it does fly by, right? Well, in, in parting, I have to say, keep me posted. Oh, you absolutely uh, know I will. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's been fun. Thank you, Senders Receive listeners, for taking the time to listen to the interview today with Chuck Welch, a.k.a. the Cracker Jack Kid. It's always such a pleasure, and I'll say bye for now. Senders Receive is recorded, edited, and hosted by Jenny Hinchcliffe, with many, many thanks to the contributors, artists, and interview subjects of Senders Receive. Our intro-outro music is by Kitsa and used as per the artist's Creative Commons terms. Additional info can be found in the show notes. If you're a mail artist or postal modern interested in being interviewed for Senders Receive, I invite you to send an email to sendersreceivepodcast at gmail.com. Keep current on new episodes at our Instagram account, at sendersreceivepodcast. That's all for now, and thanks for listening.